BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We connect with Victoria now as we go for Baldry's Beat, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry on the line. Hey, Keith. Good morning, Judy. Good to chat with you. Let's start on what we were talking about yesterday with the federal government's announcement of lifting vaccine mandates for domestic air and rail, as well as for federal employees. June 20th, the day where things will sort of revert back to some semblance of typical, let's say, pre-pandemic, but they do reserve the right to bring measures back if need be. What about BC? Because these mandates now go back to each province to sort of implement or change uh, Mm -hmm. what is at play for provincial employees. Uh, What are you hearing there? Yeah, it's interesting. So I was on Global News yesterday after the federal announcement speculating, purely speculating, that perhaps we would uh, subsequently see a relaxation or suspension of the vaccine mandates in B.C., which are very narrow. This only applies to uh, core civil servants in the B.C. government, about 30,000 people. People work in government ministries and agencies, as well as the extended health care sector and long-term care uh, homes, acute care and long-term care home, which is more than 100,000 people. Uh, they, as a conditional employment, they have to be vaccinated. Otherwise, they're put on either um, unpaid administrative leave or they're terminated. And that number is about 300 people, I think, in the in the civil service and about 2,000 people in the healthcare system. But no sooner I said that than Health Minister Adrian Nix phoned me. <laughs> He'd watched the report. <laughs> as he does. said he did some double-checking and said, no, there's no plans to relax or suspend the vaccination mandates that are in place now for provincial government employees, some uh, employees of Crown Corporations and those who work in the healthcare system or in the acute care healthcare system or in long-term uh, 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 care. Uh, interesting, I just checked at the legislature where right now you do need to show proof of vaccination to gain entrance in the legislature or to work in the legislature. And it's up for review next week, but we don't know what the rules are going to be or whether they're going to change for the legislature. But basically, bottom line, no change in the vaccination mandates in B.C. All right. So that keeps it from being confusing because oftentimes people will say, it's so confusing. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Basically, stand pat. Well, most people, the vast majority of people are, are vaccinated, 95%. Yeah. So we're talking yeah. only about a very small group of people um, who Vocal. <laughs> opted not to get vaccinated or are waiting for a different vaccine or whatever. Um, and it'll be interesting whether some of these people, at the federal level, my understanding is many of the people who've been put on leave are going to come back to their jobs. Um, which may ease some of the pressure in some of the travel hubs where we're seeing shortage of staff, right. staff uh, leading to lineups for various things. Not sure what the situation is going to be in BC if and when we ever suspend those vaccination mandates. I assume, I know a number of people uh, who were terminated in healthcare have since left healthcare and gone on to other jobs. I don't suspect mm. they'll be coming back if they're allowed to. Here's a, here's a crazy question I legitimately do not know the answer to. At YVR, for example, those would be federal employees there in terms of being able to return to work mm-hmm. uh, under, under that. So it's, it's, it's the, mun- it's the uh, provincial civil servants mm-hmm. um, that won't have a mandate change. But if you work 
at the airport, which is federal jurisdiction, you and you were no no longer allowed to work there because of your vaccine status. Now you will, as of the 20th of June, be allowed to return to work. Yes, that's right, because the okay. airports are a federal jurisdiction, as you correctly point out. Although, interestingly, at the very beginning of the pandemic, way back in March or April 2020, the federal government basically abandoned airports. And a lot of the, the staffing levels were um, represented by provincial employees who were transferred from government ministries to basically run the airports for a couple of weeks. But we're now back to quasi-normal at the airport. It is federal jurisdiction. The employees there have been required to be vaccinated. Uh, that will now end, and it'll be interesting to see if anyone comes back to work next week when that uh, mandate is suspended. All right, Keith, let's turn our attention to money laundering, the fentanyl connections to that, the casinos, the real estate, the, mm-hmm. the whole banana. Austin Cullen's going to drop his report today, what, 1130? Yeah, at a noon news conference. Um, yeah. So it, it's uh, already, we know it's 1,800 pages, which is pretty big. Wow. <laughs> uh, they interviewed almost, well, they heard from almost 200 witnesses. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty comprehensive and pretty far-reaching. I'm not sure, though, there's going to be a lot of blame assigned to individuals. My understanding of the way public inquiries work now as a result of court decisions, if a public inquiry finds fault on uh, finds fault in one individual's actions, that person's supposed to be notified, and they're uh, given the ability to get a lawyer, and they're offered a, re- a chance to respond. To my understanding, no one's been notified about this, so I think this is going to be very much an institution-oriented report, looking at uh, things like the BC Lottery Corporation, uh, the, the provincial gaming branch, uh, the casinos, the police investigative units, the federal finance investigative units, to look right. at their actions or their lack of actions, and perhaps assign blame or fault on, on that method rather than individuals. Uh, right. I could be wrong, but certainly the clues are adding up, so that's the approach uh, or the outcome uh, we're going to see. And obviously, I think there's going to be pretty far-reaching conclusions or recommendations from Justice Cullen about going forward, uh, how to prevent uh, what occurred in the past from occurring again. And we were talking to Matthew McGuire off the top of the show, the co-founder and practice director of the AML shop and the expert in money laundering. And, and I said, you know, if you could change one thing, where would you start? Because he said, like, there's so much that needs doing here. And he's concerned that that this report will lead to uh, a deferral to a f- then federal report that could take another number of years before mm-hmm. action is taken. So what action should be taken? And he was very clear. Boots on the ground. I was shocked to learn that there are 500,000 reports per year in Canada. Uh, of money laundering and only hundreds that actually get investigated and even fewer than that that see meaningful consequences. They're just, there are more people uh, looking out for somebody who's parked in the wrong spot with an expired meter than there are those who are money laundering. Is there something, is there, do you think, do you predict that there might be something actionable in this report? Oh, I think there's going to be recommendations to, as you say, uh, have more boots on the ground to beef up investigative resources here and enforcement. Uh, that's been uncovered, you know, through the report of Sam Cooper and John Waugh and others uh, for the last uh, couple years, few years, about the lack of uh, human resources dedicated to combating money laundering. It doesn't seem to be a priority at either the federal or provincial level for years. And I think uh, I think the tone of this report will be also about how everyone agreed to look the other way for right. a long time because a lot for of a, people, a lot of insta- governments were making money on this thing. Uh, yeah. And others, uh, and casinos are making money as well. So I think um, that will be recommended. Again, these are not binding recommendations or findings. This is simply going to be sent to the provincial government. It's already been sent to the provincial government. Uh, Attorney General David Eby has already had a couple weeks to look at it. 
But we'll see if it leads to more resources being implemented on the enforcement uh, and investigative side by both the provincial side, provincial government level, and the federal government level. Remember, this was commissioned by a provincial government. We'll see what Ottawa's response is going to be, and we're not sure exactly when we're going to get that. Do we know how much this uh, process has cost taxpayers? I don't, but I would assume it's in the millions. Um, yeah. But I don't think it's a, I don't. Well, certainly not as much as the amount of money moving through money laundering through casinos. <laughs> right. What we what it has cost us as a society. Uh, it, it, it must oh, there's be probably going to be a higher. dollar dollar estimate. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Cullen Commission comes up with a, a dollar impact as a result of money laundering activities. I would I would think they would have to to show some context of what we're talking about here. Well, you know, we've all seen the stories of of the the gym bags, the hockey duffel bags showing up with, you know, full of $20 bills. Yeah. So we're talking about a heck of a lot of money. And we're going to see, I would be very surprised if we don't see a number produced today. And you mentioned Sam Cooper and John Waugh, two investigative journalists who have been working tirelessly on this file. I mean, it can't be overstated the importance of the journalistic integrity and the investigative reporters uh, putting themselves in harm's way to try and find the details behind this to really bring it to the surface and, and push forward the need for, for this inquiry, right? Oh, yeah. No, the, the, the journalism on this, and, and, you know, there's been some CBC reporters on this as well. For sure. Um, and, and for a number of years have been bringing this stuff forward. Um, and it just sort of it didn't evaporate, but it, it, led, it led basically to the commission being established. I mean, this was an issue the NDP in opposition caught on to. David Eby, very effective critic in opposition on this. He came attorney general. The expectation was, well, what are you going to do about this? Because uh, you made it such a big issue in opposition, and that's why he um, appointed Justice Cullen uh, to uh, to head this commission of inquiry. All right, we're going to open phones in just a couple of minutes here. I just want to uh, touch on the the Governor General story. Lit that. up the phone. Oh, <laughs> Keith, man, I thought it looked like we were giving away a trip. Yeah, you know, around the world. Like the phone lines lit up so hot on this. How on earth will there be any way to justify? This amount, $93,000 in in-flight meal expenses on one trip back food. in March. Yeah. Oh, my God. $3,100 per person. Yeah, no. Um, the expense issue with the governor general position has been an issue for quite some time. I remember Adrian Clarkson, when she was attorney general, I broke a story over here where the governor general, she refused to stay at government house uh, for free. And the staff at Government House, a couple of them phoned me and said, this is ridiculous. She's staying at the Empress Hotel. I got, actually got the hotel receipts, her and her staff, $2,000 a night at wow. the Empress Hotel. And it was like, well, that, who cares? It's the Governor General. And then um, uh, Tax Federation pointed out the, p- the pensions is one thing, but the ongoing lifetime expense allowance. For 200 grand. 200 grand a year after you stop being a governor uh, general. This doesn't shocking. apply to the lieutenant governor. You know, it's interesting. I've been to government house in B.C. many times. It's a much more frugal operation. In yeah. fact, lieutenant governors in B.C. are known basically to dig into their own pocket to pay for things. Yeah. You know, we've got Janet Austin, who's a f- phenomenally good uh, lieutenant governor here in B.C., has dug into her own savings to come up with a journalist uh, 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 fellowship program wow. uh, to, to appoint, to hire, or give fellowships to a couple of journalists a year to pursue various uh, um, areas of research. But again, that's her money. And we but don't it's interesting, see that though, in the federal Keith, government. Right. That's important that we don't paint everyone in the system with the same broad stroking red brush here. Oh, let's go- get to the phones. Oh, yep. sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Okay, let's get to the phones. 604-280- 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 9890. Travelers on federally regulated planes and trains still need to wear a mask. Masks are an effective way of reducing transmission. Our government will always continue to evaluate measures and will not hesitate to make additional adjustments based on the latest public health advice and science. That, of course, Canada Minister of Transport, Omar Al-Gabra, yesterday making the announcement that the federal government was changing some of the vaccine mandate rules for travel, domestic travel and outgoing international travel. Those international travelers coming into Canada will still need to show proof of vaccination and be fully vaccinated. The mask mandate you heard right there will stay in place on all uh, air travel and on uh, rail. Interesting, with Keith Baldry, we're doing Baldry's B here uh 604-280-9898 is the number to call if you want to chime in on baldry's beat star 9898 a free call keith one of the things i wanted to touch on with you that we didn't really get an opportunity to do uh yesterday is the cruise lines the cruise ships not a surprise given the close proximity of travelers on a cruise ship and the fact that they were uh, literally you know ground zero for some of the worst outbreaks of covid-19 in the earliest of days we we were were interviewing people that were stuck on cruise ships for for weeks um yeah. because covid took over has there been any reaction now obviously cruise ships and cruise uh travel is a huge bringer of of uh of travel dollars to our part of the world. What has been the reaction from the industry, Not, if any? Nothing, nothing really over the top, somewhat muted reaction. I think I heard one spokesman expressing disappointment that the vaccination rules remain in place. But also the cruise industry is very mindful. It's in their self-interest. Uh, it's in its self-interest to keep everyone healthy on board a ship. So they've been enforcing the vaccination rules. Uh, they were sort of ahead of the curve. Even, as you say, at the beginning, they were floating Petri dishes. And there yeah. was a lot of cases uh, on board. And as a result, people were basically quarantined at sea for a long time. And it really uh, messed with their travel plans. But I, now, I haven't heard of any any outbreak aboard a cruise ship to any of any significance for some time now as the vaccination rules um, 
have been in place. Now, keep in mind, again, we're talking 95% of any given society uh, in, in Canada, at least, any community, is vaccinated. So there are very relatively few people, by comparison, who uh, have been affected by the, the uh, vaccination, negatively affected by the vaccination mandates. I'm constantly surprised by very well-informed individuals who ask me a question, and I'm like, did you not listen to Baldry's Beat? Because Keith explained this. You've been such a touchstone on all things COVID-related, and with just a, our one minute here left in in uh, the segment, uh, with regard to having the ability now to travel for the unvaccinated, that small portion of society or unvaccinated for whatever reason, wanting to travel now, really need to be mindful of what the rules are at their destination as destination, well. Exactly. Don't, don't worry so much about Canada's rules, you've got to figure out what the rules are in the country you're headed in. And they vary around the world. I mean, there are countries that require full vaccination status. Others, you know, still need a, a test, uh, a negative test produced. Uh, you've, other, rule, other countries still have uh, quarantine rules. Uh, so do your homework and check where you, what your destination's rules are because they can vary from place to place. And again, if you're going to head to more than one destination, check out, if you're going to go to three countries in Europe, check out all their rules because they're going to be enforced as you cross borders. It is really something that we need to stay on top of as things kind of open up and return to some semblance of normalcy here in the summertime. And must be noted that governments do reserve the right to bring measures back if we oh, hit if another, the, right? If the, if the fall gets out of hand and... Fingers crossed it doesn't, but public health officials are certainly not ruling out the fall and the respiratory illness season, which brings, that's where viruses live predominantly, uh, predominantly that could come back with a vengeance. And that's why these vaccine mandates have only been suspended. They haven't been terminated.